Well, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. I hope you enjoy your special day, and I just hope that, uh, that you know that you have tremendous value as a father. Um, I find our society often undervalues the role of a father. We live in a broken world, a world that is filled with hate and crime. All the meanwhile, recently in America, we see that with each passing generation, uh, the percentage of people who attend church is decreasing. Less and less of our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids are choosing to live a life of faith and go to church. And so what's the solution? What's the solution to this broken world? What's the solution to, to this um, big issue that I see and this trend of decreasing attendance and going to church, what's the solution? I think part of that solution is godly fathers. I recently read a book called, uh, it's got a a geeky name, uh, but it's called Slaying the Dragons of Church Revitalization uh, by Tom Chaney. In his book, he covers 15 uh, issues that our churches experience that prevent us from experiencing growth and revitalization. One of these issues that he talks about in his book is the lack of men within churches. According to Cheney's book, um, in declining churches, about, and this is dealing with, with uh, adults, in declining churches, about 30% of attenders are male. In plateau churches, about 40% are male. And in growing churches, about 50% are male. So the churches that are uh, experiencing a decline in in their attendance, churches that have plateaued in their growth, they're experiencing a shortage of men, uh, specifically of godly men. And so what does this world need? What does the church need? I I think it's the same thing. I, I think this world needs more godly men, needs more godly fathers. If you transform a father, I think you transform his family. As Paul's uh, divinely inspired um, model of a family, the structure of the family lays the father as the head. Uh, When we look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus loved on the woman and the children and his society. A large chunk of his ministry, though, was focused on just spending a lot of his time just with 12 ordinary guys um, and and discipling them. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I I think Jesus valued the role of godly men in the world and in the church. So even though uh, I I find oftentimes our society doesn't realize the immense value of a godly father, I hope you fathers out there recognize and see the importance that you have in this world, in this church, and within your family as well. And so I am forever grateful for all of you uh, godly men out there. Let's take a minute and and let's pray um, and, and give God thanks for all of our fathers here. Give him thanks for being the ultimate father. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, we just thank you for all the fathers here as we celebrate Father's Day. Father, I just pray that all the men here, they can see the value and the worth, the significance that they have within their homes, within the church, within the world as well. And Father, I just pray that you fill them with your boldness, with your courage, with your self-control. And I just pray that they can be, they can serve as a light on a hill in the midst of a world full of darkness. And Father, as we celebrate Father's Day, um, it'd be foolish of us not to give you recognition as the ultimate father, a perfect father, a loving, gracious, and merciful father. 
And so we give you thanks for that. Father, I just pray that you watch over us as we seek to give you glory and honor. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our series on the book of Romans. Uh, we're, we're picking up in chapter 12 uh, of the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to spend two weeks covering Romans chapter 12, and then I'll be gone for two weeks. I'll be at the uh, Young Adult Getaway, uh, the national uh, event for... Uh, Within our conference, people in their 20s and 30s, I'll be uh, gone with, with the getaway in two weeks. And then the following week, uh, my mom's side of the family is taking a vacation down in Florida, so we'll be gone as well. While I'm gone, John and Jacob uh, will be speaking. Um, I look forward to listening to hear what God has laid on their heart. So we'll spend two weeks uh, in the book of Romans, and then we'll have two weeks uh, having the privilege and honor of hearing from John and Jacob. And then after that, we'll, we'll probably spend... I plan on five weeks finishing up the, the last few chapters of Romans. And so we are uh, really nearing the end here. This, this has been a long study. This is one of the uh, longest books of the New Testament. And Paul, he, he takes us through a journey throughout this gospel presentation that he presents to the church at Rome. As Paul, he wanted to go preach the, the gospel message to them in person. But in the meantime, he, he would write a letter presenting this gospel message. And so last week, as we continued our, our series, we finished up chapter 11 of, uh, from the book of Romans, and we finished up what I view to be the second section of this letter. Uh, we talked uh, briefly last week how I think that the first section of this letter, the first couple chapters, is all about our sin, your sin, my sin, the sin uh, of the world, and our fallenness as mankind. And because of this sin, because of our fallen nature, we are in need of a Savior, that was not very fun uh, to, to go through that process, but, but Paul very deliberately took us through that process and, and bringing awareness of the fact that, yeah, we need a Savior. On our own, we have no hope. And that's what the second section of the letter is all about. It is about that plan of salvation that God has for you and I that revolves around his precious son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, that, that, this was the longest part of the letter. It kind of, kind of starts around chapter 3. And I think we uh, finished up that, that section last week at the end of chapter 11. As Paul, he was looking at this plan of salvation from a lot of different angles. Uh, and, and he was uh, pretty um, deliberate, pretty precise with, with his teachings on this plan of salvation. And so we have one section left in this letter. It starts with chapter 12, and it's all about practical living of what it looks like to be a Christian. As Paul told us in the second section of the letter, that if we have faith in God and his son Jesus, then we will be saved. There are zero questions asked, zero buts, ands, or ifs to that. If you have a sincere faith in God and his son Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And in this final section of the letter, Paul shares us, he shows us what it looks like to have a faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. A faith that changes every aspect of our life. And so Paul kickstarts uh, kick this section of his letter in chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. <laughs> this preaches, these first couple of verses here, this preaches. Paul says, therefore, I've heard it said before, what is the therefore Therefore, has anybody else ever heard that before? What is the therefore, therefore? Uh, we, we, that, that should uh, cross our mind whenever we see the therefore uh, in the scriptures. What, what is it therefore in the first place? Whenever we see the word therefore, you can know that it is building off of something that was previously said, previously established. And so what is Paul building off? Well, he's building off of the first 11 chapters of this letter talking about our sin and God's plan of of salvation for us in the midst of our sin. Even though we don't deserve it, God, God is giving us this salvation. And so Paul sums up the, these first 11 chapters, in essence, in verse 1, by the mercies of God. Paul is building on these first 11 chapters all about the mercies of God. As surely you and I, we do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve to live in a never-ending day and age in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. But because of God's grace and his mercy for you and I, Paul says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because of God's offer of salvation to us, we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And now we all know that Jesus Christ served as the sacrifice for sin once and for all as he was crucified on the cross and he paid our wages, our debt of sin. I don't think we're called to lay down on an altar and give up our life as a sacrifice to God as that would belittle the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, but before the time of Jesus, uh, they, they often presented sacrifices and, and, and different offerings to God. They, they, they would sacrifice these different animals, or they had grain offerings. They had a handful of, of different offerings and, and sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they would present these sacrifices to God, and they're presenting a, a gift to God to seek his approval. And as we, today, as we present our lives, as Paul talks about, as a living sacrifice, our bodies, our actions, we're seeking the approval of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. And he jumps down, and he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with the price, a, a very precious price at that, the blood of Jesus. And because you, you, you were bought, because you were purchased with, with a precious price, we are to glorify God with our bodies as our bodies serve as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where now we, we, we can have an intimate relation, an intimate connection with God Wherever we go, because we are the temple. We, we, we are housing God's precious spirit. And so we need to glorify God in our bodies. We need, we need to be presenting ourselves, our bodies, our actions as a living sacrifice to God. That, that's a, a bit of an oxymoron there, a, a living sacrifice. But, but that's what we are called to do. 
In everything that we do, we are presenting ourselves as an offering to God to seek his approval, to, to seek um, his glory and his honor. And so Paul talks about what, what sort of living sacrifice are we to present ourselves to God? And Paul says that it, it is to be a holy and acceptable offering or a holy and acceptable sacrifice. Holy is uh, pretty much the, the church word for set apart, for different. Your life has to be different and set apart from those around you. If your life does not look different from those who do not have faith, then that is not an acceptable living sacrifice to God. God is looking for, for, for people and, and throughout their bodies, throughout their actions, throughout their lives, who are set apart from the rest of the world. And this is, is a holy and acceptable offering to God. And Paul says that, that, that as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice or offering to God, a holy and acceptable sacrifice, that is, he says, that is your spiritual worship. This is how we worship God. There are many uh, different Hebrew and Greek words that are translated as worship in our Bibles. The, the most common uh, Hebrew and Greek word used for worship also signify uh, bowing down to someone. And so when we worship God, we are paying homage to God and we are giving him glory. We're giving him honor. We're giving him worth as the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. And so as, as we present our bodies, as we present our lives as a living sacrifice to God, that is our worship. As true worship is not confined to a specific time or place. You know, we, we often get in this mindset that we are going to church Sunday mornings and, and there we are going to worship God. We, we, we kind of limit worship to church. And no doubt, we, we are certainly worshiping God here at church week in and week out. But it is so much bigger than coming here and singing songs of praise to God and listening to a message. It is so much bigger than that. And so while one might say, I'm going to church to worship God, we should also be saying that we're going to go to home, we're going to go to, to our schools, to the office, to the store, to our workplace, to go and worship God. As worship is at singing songs, worship is a way of life. It is something we should be engaging in all of the time. We should be constantly giving God glory and praise no matter where we are or no matter what we are doing. And so singing songs, that, that, that is the, the, the most often uh, depiction that people have when, when thinking of worship. They're thinking uh, of the praise songs that we sing together as a church. No doubt that is one form of worship, but that's what it is. It is just one form of worship in the midst of many forms of worship. Paul says, as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we worship our God by offering our whole life as a living offering to him. If what you do brings honor to God, then that is a form of worship. Whether you are 
serving uh, your community, serving the needs of others, whether you are seeking him in prayer, through reading his word, through singing songs, you name it. There, there are so many ways in which we can give God glory and honor. And God is seeking for us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, a living offering to him, which serves as our spiritual worship to him. And so Paul continues in verse two, kind of going along the same lines here. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so going along these same lines as living a holy set apart life, Paul says that we are not to be conformed to this world. And let me tell you, that is so hard to do. By nature, we, we, we conform ourselves to the patterns of this world. Uh, Jim uh, Rohn, Ron, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, famously said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And so who are the people that you are spending the most time with? Are they living a holy and acceptable life to God? If so, you will naturally imitate this holy and acceptable lifestyle. Or are these five people that you are spending the most time with, are they living an ordinary lifestyle that is conformed to the patterns of this world? And if so, I think you will naturally imitate this ordinary lifestyle, this ordinary lifestyle that does not bring God glory and honor, this lifestyle that is not acceptable to God. And so we have to be extremely cognizant of the people that we spend the majority of our time with. I think we certainly need to have interaction with those who don't live a life of faith. I think this is how we lead them down the, the, the straight and narrow path that leads to salvation. But I don't think that, that these are the people that we should be spending the bulk of our time with. Ideally, as, as when this takes place, we, we, we naturally conform ourselves to the patterns of this world. And so Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Well, if we're not doing that, then what are we supposed to do? And Paul answers that. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so we need to be transformed by the renewal of, of, of our minds. In our book that we finished up in our Wednesday evening group, Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle, Craig makes the point that this transformation that we experience is in the passive voice. The passive voice is when uh, something takes place to you uh, rather than you doing the action yourself. And so this transformation is taking place to us. We, we are not the ones actually transforming our lives. It, it is being done to us. And so how is this transformation taking place? Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so Paul says that, that if we are renewing our mind, then we will experience transformation. That transformation is not something that we have to work for. Instead, we have to work to renew our mind. So how do we renew our mind? Uh, you can go uh, read Winning the War in Your Mind and follow his principles. But in essence, we need to fulfill, we, we need to fill our mind with God and his truths and we need to get rid of all the other junk from our mind, the, the, the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that the devil tells us, uh, the, the, these unhealthy thought patterns. And we need to renew our mind 
around God and his scripture. And when that takes place, when we renew our mind around God, you will experience transformation. And this is transformation that, that will cause you not to be conformed to this world. It is a transformation that, that, that will cause you to live a holy life. And we learn in, in verse 1 that this holy life, this is your spiritual worship. And so it starts in your mind, re revolving your mind, your, your thought patterns around God and his truth, spending time with him in prayer, spending time with him, reading his word, meditating on his presence. We, we've got to focus on our mind by renewing our mind. And when we experience that, our life will be transformed. We won't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And we'll be presenting our, ourselves as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. And Paul says that, that as, we, uh, as we renew our mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so one of the repercussions of renewing our mind th through God's scriptures, through, through spending intimate time with him in prayer, we will naturally be able to tell what is the will of God and what is not. As we become more in tune with his character and what he wants. You know, sometimes we, we may be in the midst of a big decision that, that is uh, nearing us and we're not sure uh, which way God is uh, guiding us. Maybe he's not guiding you down a specific path. But if you want to know God's will in your life, it starts by renewing your mind. It starts by renewing your mind, centering it around God's word uh, through his scripture and spending that time with him in prayer and in meditation. And then you will naturally be able to tell what is the will of God and what is not. And so Paul continues in, in verse three here and he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so Paul implores us to be humble. You know, in, in these first two verses, verses 1 and 2, as he opens this section of what it looks like to be a Christian, they, they, they're kind of general terms as far as presenting our lives to God as an offering. This is a form of worship and, and not being conformed to this world, but uh, renewing our mind. And, and through that renewal, we'll see transformation. In verse 3, we, we kind of see the, the first specific topic, the first specific concept that Paul talks about and how we live a Christian life. And this first principle that he talks about is living a life of humility. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. You know, at some of this past week, uh, the, the theme was let go and let God. Um, and on Wednesday, uh, the theme was let go of pride and selfishness. And so I was able to uh, teach a class and uh, deliver a message Wednesday on this topic of letting go of pride and selfishness. And we took a look at, at a case study uh, of King Nebuchadnezzar. If you remember from the book of Daniel, if you don't, uh, you should go and read it. Uh, a great story there. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian empire, we see throughout his life there are three instances in which he was filled with pride and selfishness where he thought of himself more highly than he ought to think. 
And all three times, his focus was on me, me, me. And all three times, his focus was off of God. Not once when, when he was filled with this pride, what, what was he seeking to worship our heavenly father? But as we read throughout the, the story from the book of Daniel, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled three times. And all three times, when Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, when he did not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, all three times, he worshiped and praised the name of God. I do not think that we can worship and praise the name of God when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to and all we are focused on is me, me, me. Because when the focus is all on me, 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 the focus is off of God. And so as we go and we try to implement these words and we see the why, the first 11 chapters all about the why. Why live a Christian life? Why live a life of faith? Well, because if we do, we, we know that we will be saved. And now, how do we put that into practice? First two verses, Paul talks about living, uh, uh, being a living sacrifice and, and transforming our life through the renewal of our mind. And then as he gets into the specifics, we see that we are to live a life of humility. It's when, when, we, we, when we do not think of, of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, we're putting our focus off of ourselves and we're putting our focus on God and those around us, which is instrumental to fulfill the, the two most important commandments throughout the scriptures, loving God and loving people. You can't love God and you can't love people if all you're focused on is yourself. And so Paul implores us as we learn to live uh, a life as a Christian, he implores us to be humble. We have to let go of that pride and selfishness in our life in order to worship God. So Paul continues uh, in, verse, in verse 4 and 5, and he writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, and, he, and he's talking about the church, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so as we are not thinking of ourselves too highly, we, we come to this understanding, this, this realization that we are one member of a larger body. That, that's the image of the, the church. The, the church is given the image of the body of Christ. We serve as the body of Christ. And each and every one of us, we serve as one member of that body. The hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The brain cannot say to the eyes, I don't need you. We all rely on one another in the midst of our strengths and weaknesses. And our bodies work much better when each of the members are working cohesively with one another. There are, I don't know if it's millions or billions or what, but, but there are a ton of neurons being fired in your body, and your body is working cohesively as one unit, as one body, to do these pretty crazy things like, like following uh, the, the direction of my arms with, the, with your eyes, um, sitting up. There's the, the incredible things that we're able to accomplish. It's all because our body is working cohesively as one unit. And the body of Christ needs to function likewise. Each member needs to work cohesively with the other members of the body. 
And so if we look at, at a church context, a church setting where we find ourselves right now, the worship of the church needs to work cohesively with the teaching. The teaching needs to work cohesively with the fellowship, the fellowship with the evangelism, the evangelism with the maintenance, you name it. Each of the different ministries within God's church needs to work to get together collectively as one body. If we are not working together, our body is going to be a big jumbled mess and we're not going to be able to accomplish much of anything. And so in the midst of our humility, knowing that it's not all about me, 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 but it's about God and those around us, we understand that we are one member of a body. And we need to be aware of the role that we play and we need to be aware of where we fit into the bigger picture and focus on living in cohesion. And so Paul, uh, last three verses uh, that we're going to read here this morning, verses six through eight, Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith is service and our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so here, as Paul is continuing to talk about the body of believers, the, the team working together, he says that according to God's grace, receiving something that we don't deserve, according to God's grace, we each have different gifts that God has blessed us with. Your gifts are different from mine. Your gifts are different from your spouses, from your children's, from your neighbor, from the person sitting across the aisle from you. Your gifts are special and unique to you. And the thing about these gifts that God has blessed us with, Paul says that we need to use them. Use these gifts that God has blessed you with. Recently, a uh, piece of scripture that's really been on my mind and my heart, uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, um, where in this parable of the talents, the master gives, his, he has three different servants, and, and he gives his three different servants uh, different uh, amounts of money. And, and two of the servants, they go and use this money that, this, that the master entrusted them with, and they go and use it to make more money. One of the servants who was given one talent of money, one chunk of money, he was afraid and he dug his money in the ground waiting to, to give it back to his master at the end. And in this parable of Matthew 25, the master blessed the two who used their money to make more money. And he said to the third who did nothing, who was, a, who was scared, who was afraid, and so just hid the talent in the ground. He said, you wicked and slothful servant. And that master told that wicked and slothful servant that you will be cast into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that parable is specifically about the, the, the money that, that God has blessed us with. But I think that ties in to the abilities that God has blessed us with, the time the resources, you name it. Anything according to God's grace that he has blessed you with, if you are not using it, then I think you are a wicked and slothful servant. 
You have got to use the resources that God has given you to expand his coming kingdom. If not, you'll be cast into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so God has blessed each and every one of us with different gifts, and we must use them. If you aren't using the gifts that God has given you, you'll have a similar fate to the servant, that last servant who hid the, the talent in the ground. And so if you know the different gifts that God has blessed you with, Paul urges you, he implores you to use those gifts. And some of us may be, may be sitting here and thinking, I have no idea how God has blessed me. I have no idea in which of these gifts God has blessed me with. And that's all right. You, you are certainly not alone. It, it's a process of finding out the different ways in which God has blessed you with these gifts. But in my experience, the best way to discover your gifts is by trial and error. Try serving God in different facets of, of ministry until you discover how God has blessed you. And if God has blessed you in prophecy and, and in speaking God's word, use it in proportion to your faith. If service and our serving, the one who teaches, use it in his teaching, the one who exhorts, uh, the one who proclaims in his exhortation, the one who contributes uh, in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so God has blessed you with unique gifts as you are one member of a body, a different member for, from those sitting around you. And if you do not use those gifts, you, you have a scary fate ahead of you. But if you do, you are furthering, you're expanding God's coming kingdom, bringing more people into this hope, into this salvation, this hope of salvation that you and I share and so use these gifts that God has blessed you with. And so this is the beginning in chapter 12 here, these first eight verses. This is the beginning uh, of what it looks like to live a life of faith that Paul outlines for us. We have to be presenting our whole life to God as an offering. And this is our worship. This is how we bring glory and honor to God. It's not just through the singing of songs as we gather on a weekly basis. It's how you spend your Monday and your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday, your Saturday, and your Sunday as well. Your whole life ought to be a living sacrifice to God. That is how you worship and bring honor to him. And throughout this process, as we are presenting ourselves as a holy sacrifice, a sacrifice that is set apart, we'll see that, that we cannot be conformed to this world, and we need to be transformed, and we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so throughout the rest of this section of Paul's letter, we're going to see further what it looks like to be a Christian. Because by now, we, we should understand the why. Why be a Christian? Paul spent 11 chapters talking about that because we have sin, and because of that sin, we deserve death. But God offers us salvation if we are a Christ follower, if we have faith. And so the, the why is taken care of, and now we focus on the how. And so throughout the rest of this section, we can see how to be a Christian, what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to have 
a life full of faith, a life that is led by our faith. And throughout this process, we will learn and grow and we will continue to disciple ourselves and become more and more Christ-like as Paul talks about many very, very practical steps, steps that we can use day in and day out of how to be a Christian. Let's go ahead and let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. Father, we give you glory and honor. Father, we seek to worship you Father, I just pray that as we attempt to, pr- to provide our lives as an offering and sacrifice to you, Father, I just pray that you help us renew our minds, that we can focus in on you, on your son, on your coming kingdom, on the plans that you have for us. Father, I just thank you for the words of Paul here in this letter. And I pray that these are words that inspire us, that encourage us, and challenge us to live a life of faith. So Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.